Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and today I will be discussing the holiday horror classic from Bob Clark, starring Olivia Hussey, John Saxon, and Margot Kidder. It is Black Christmas from 1974. And today, to help me with the analysis, I will be joined by one of my favorite horror podcasts. It is Adam and Devin of The Great American Scream. Hello, Adam and Devin. Thank you so much for coming back on. Hello. Thank you. Hello. It's so nice to hear that for the second time in a row. <laughs> a little peek, a little peek behind the curtain here, folks. So this is the second time we're doing this intro. It, it I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is the first mix. I definitely didn't insult the podcast we're currently on in the first take, and everything's great. You were struck it down by the podcast gods for your insolence. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Adam and Devin, for coming on. And yes, we had to re-record the intro because I don't know what happened. Just stuff shut down. But uh, um, I'm very happy to be sitting down with you two to be talking about Black Christmas today. Y'all are some autopsy veterans. Uh, Y'all were on here recently or previously for my Build Your Own Cabin in the Woods episode. That was a very fun game that we got to play. I highly encourage everybody to go check that out. And Adam's been on here to talk about horror tropes and discuss every opening to every screen movie so um yeah i'm very happy to have you two just horror fanatics back on here uh and talk yeah, about black christmas happy to be here um, as i said in the first recording uh <laughs> black christmas is one of my favorite horror movies it's actually very high up there for me it's probably my second favorite horror movie behind scream um the first time i watched this was was just about two or three years ago i just instantly fell in love with it but um adam and evan what is your own history with black christmas um well what i uh the kind of like fun fact that i always tell people about black christmas when it comes up is that people like credit halloween as the first slasher movie when in reality i think black christmas predates halloween by like at least four years or something like that uh and it was a huge inspiration point for halloween which i think is super duper interesting because uh it's, it, I think it's very well known in the horror community, but not so much outside of it. Like when mm-hmm. I rewatched it for this, I watched it with my roommate and she had never seen it before. Um, and <laughs> the other thing is I always accidentally conflate Black Christmas Black Christmas with Silent Night, Deadly Night in my brain. And those <laughs> two are two very different, very different films. Um, but wasn't uh, like one of the working titles for this film, something like Silent Night, Deadly Night or something like that. Silent Night, Evil Night. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, when it, um, when it was released in Canada, it was, because this is a Canadian film, it was Black Christmas, but then when they tried to do like the, the mass release um, in the States, there was a lot of controversy with it having to be Christmas or whatever. Oh, yeah, because uh, it came out on, did it come out on Christmas Day or is that one of the remakes? It came out like on the 20th like, of December. Okay. But uh, because of the title Black Christmas, they thought audiences thought it was like a black exploitation movie. Oh. So they changed hmm. it to Silent Night, Evil Night for the States. Mm, I see. That I guess that confusion for the time period kind of makes sense. Yeah, definitely. 1974. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm going to talk about my history with the film. Please, Go ahead. Devin. <laughs> uh, basically zero i actually watched this film for the first time uh earlier today uh oh my god for me for me uh the morning and for you guys the afternoon so it was a lovely little watch that i had with my tea uh (laughs) and my good friends agnes and phil and uh the sorority mom who i love mrs Mac. um and you said uh that you said this is a canadian film and what i should have said right after is and you can hear it 
Oh, yes. You can hear it in these yes, accents. You can. These are some Canadian accents. The calls come from inside the house. Yeah. It's yeah. A, like, the I think there's something. Oh, uh, I think it's when one of the, the boyfriend is at the police station and he's like, you know, the girl. And he goes, yeah, I take her out sometimes. I take her out. <laughs> it really made me laugh. Yeah, I'm ta- I think the line is, I'm taking a route. Yes. <laughs> because it's it's so good. And they're even playing hockey I, at one point in this movie, too. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. very Canadian. And a weird mask on the guy playing hockey, I must say. I would also say, not to, you know, denigrate the actors in this film, because they're all very good. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I recognized uh, the main woman, Olivia Hussey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from, um, from Romeo and Juliet? No, no. <laughs> Not for Romeo and Juliet. Oh. I recognized her voice, and I was wondering why. And it turns out that she was Talia Al Ghul in a lot of the DC animated stuff. Oh. Uh, and she was also in Star- in a lot of Star Wars stuff. She was Cassin Moore in Rogue Squadron on the N64, which I played so much. <laughs> and she was uh, Jedi Master Parr in Star Wars The Old Republic. So Hell I yeah. was like... I know this woman. <laughs> See, I recognized her from the 60s Romeo and Juliet with the Romeo that looks like yes. Zac Efron that the everybody one we watches. All watched in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and this was, I think, her first movie right after that. Um, yeah. Bob Clark was talking about how he, he wanted to get Olivia Hussey on this because, you know, she just did Romeo and Juliet, kind of like a big star at the time, and he wanted to have that in this. And it was really funny watching the interviews with Olivia Hussey and these interviews I'm referring to were from like 2006 or something like that, the early aughts. And it's really funny her talking about this because she says she kind of did this movie as like a break because like she just she actually just had birth like a few months before this. So she's like, oh, yeah, like I'm ready to kind of just like have a little vacation by myself. Yeah. Like, dad, dad will take care of the baby. I'm going to go f- shoot a movie for a few months. <laughs> oh, I read somewhere and I did not fact check this, but I really hope it's true that she took this movie because uh, she visited a psychic and that psychic told her that she was going to be in a Canadian movie that made a lot of money. She did say that in the interview. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Power. She, I, I went through her Wikipedia to find out what I knew her voice from and that's not surprising at all. She also played, uh, she played Mary, mother of Jesus in a in a t- TV production of Jesus of Nazareth. She played Mother Teresa. Uh, she like now does not act because she deals with agoraphobia. Mm. Uh, like she she played Norma Bates in Psycho Four. She was in uh, Psycho Four. You're so right. Insane. Like, good for her. She good seems for her. Like the kind of girl who like was like where's my career going this way okay yeah. <laughs> like it just went good for her i love her and she's great in this she's really she good oh yeah i love the character of jess jess is one of my favorite final girls i just mm. love how she's not like full sydney prescott but she's just you know yeah. she don't need no man she doesn't want to listen or take any orders from one and yeah i'm gonna grab this fireplace poker and poke around exactly <laughs> see that's the only thing that made uh, that made me mad about her was I remember my, my roommate and I both put this out when we were watching it like as soon as there's that big moment of like the call is coming from inside the house I I immediately leave go don't, don't yeah. worry about well, your sisters duh. are dead go they're dead if they weren't dead already they're gonna be just leave just go uh, I appreciate her her valiant efforts to kill him but just leave. Just go. That's the only thing that I was like, ah, about her, though. Everything else, she was very capable. 
Very true. And that's something that I do find myself screaming at the TV every time I watch this. But I feel like yeah. it would be against her character because because it it's literally because I mean, this is going kind of getting bigger into like like the theme of this movie. But it's literally a point in the movie where a man is telling her to do something without question because he he won't first explain why she needs to get out of the house. He's just saying, mm-hmm. you can't ask me any questions. Just do what I say. Get out of the house. And she's just like, mm-hmm. fuck, you no. Um, yeah, and when she asks, like, and then, of course, when she actually starts to ask questions, that's when she's told the truth. Like, she's been taught through this film to be proactive and to investigate things that are going wrong. Like, mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. very clearly a critical thinker. Her, like, thinking about whether it could be uh, Peter or whether it couldn't be, like, yeah. of course she doesn't listen to the cop. The cops in this film also are established to be bad. Yeah. yeah I love this movie for being anti Bad at their like, job and just generally, yeah. Yeah, John Saxon is kind of like really like the only like person with like kind of a brain in this, but like he's yeah. even yeah. wrong at first. Yeah. Also, I totally halfway through I realized that he was also the cop dad in Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, yes. Ah. So so John Saxon's role in this is actually was very spontaneous. The I, I, didn't, I didn't get his name, but the gentleman that they had playing the his his role in this, um, he couldn't do it because he came down with a early onset Alzheimer's, and oh, wow. he was having like a real hard time with shooting, and because they would shoot late at night and it's like minus ten degrees when they're mm-hmm. doing this, and uh, Bob Clark kind of just had to like sort of pull the plug on him. But they let him go two days before they were shooting, and the first scene that they shot was. The, the search party scene where John Saxon's character is kind of like on the megaphone directing people what to do. And so they called him up. His agent called him and said, hey, can you get to Toronto in two days? And he literally landed and that night shot that scene. So, wow. Power. Goals. Yeah. I love John Saxon <laughs> in this. He's so good. Um, but I did want to talk about another thing that is I find very interesting about this that Adam mentioned about how this is kind of like the um, I, I agree with you that I do think that this is kind of like one of the first slashers. And mm-hmm. I find it so interesting that two of the movies that kind of started the slasher subgenre were Texas Chainsaw Massacre and this. And they came out the same year, just a few months apart from each other. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of love how looking at this, you do kind of see all the things that we have borrowed from that. And a lot of things that Carpenter took, like, like the POV. It happening around the holiday, stalking the victims one by one. I love the whole, you know, you can't trust the cops. The calls coming from inside the house. It's just, it's just so good. I kind of love how you see like all the building blocks here uh, for that that you we later see at Halloween and other movies. Yeah, and it feels like so many of these films, Black Christmas, moving on to Halloween, take inspiration from like the babysitter murder urban legend myth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they all have share that kind of story element of. Uh, especially like being about young women and being like the calls coming from inside the house, um, how that story remains scary and has, can translate into so many different uh, kinds of movies and plot lines mm-hmm. is very interesting. Yeah. And the, the original script for this was called Stop Me. And it was very much more in line. Like, like we were just talking about the whole like uh, babysitter and the killers upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Bob Clark got his hands on the script, he actually rewrote most of it because it was first written to be kind of like what we would see today as like a cheesy slasher. Like it was way more violent. 
the characters were way dumber um mm-hmm. and we and of course we got to see the killer but bob clark wanted he, he wanted to he said that it was kind of like an experiment for him he wanted to see if he could be successful with never showing the killer and uh so sticking with like the povs and like kind of quick shots of like just seeing hands in the eye um and he also wanted the characters to be smart because he said like these were college students so he's like college students should be somewhat smart so he kind of wanted to wanted to show young adults making uh not dumb decisions and uh so like like nothing was like necessarily their fault just like they were kind of stuck in a city city shitty situation yeah everybody in this movie is is very capable mm-hmm. uh and i'm also yeah. i'm always a big fan of not showing the killer um i think uh while i was watching it again i was trying to think you know what I think if this movie were made today, there would be a twist ending of like the killer being revealed to be one of them, or it was mm-hmm. Peter, or it was somebody else. Um, and the fact that it is just not, I think, is uh, kind of lends this movie some of its strength. Like it could have been like this big twist, but it doesn't really need to be. Right. Uh, he just kind of has to be Billy, and it's okay that we don't get like a big reveal of the killer was X the whole time or whatever. Um, and I think if the movie were made and like. 2021 then that would be the case Mm -hmm. yeah it very much feels like a film that other like if you were to ask uh a horror filmmaker what their favorite horror movie is i wouldn't be surprised if any of them said black christmas like it's it's one of those that feels so of the genre while not reducing any of the tropes of said genre like you said like not doing a twist ending not explaining everything having the characters be intelligent like it feels like almost every other horror movie tries to do something that this film does and ends up doing it worse, or at least doesn't do it as full-throatedly. I mean, the remakes of this movie certainly do it do a lot that. worse. Yes. <laughs> oh, the remakes of this movie are so bad. They're so bad. Yeah, I almost watched the 2019 or 2015 one when I was looking it up today. I'm glad you did the, 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 I would have to say the 2006 one is worse than the 2019 one, but they're both pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. The 2006 they... one has the the advantage of having Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, but that's oh. and having uh, Andrea Martin in it. Uh the only actress left from the original. Uh, but other than that, it's mm-hmm. pretty it's pretty it's pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, kind of like what you're saying, Devin, I feel like that the thing that I think that makes this movie so successful what kind of like makes it stand the test of time is that besides all the kind of like unknowns of this because we could sit here and debate you know who billy was what really happened at the end of this movie but um something that i uh really like about this is just the tone it has because it's way more because i feel like it's it's using the the christmas holiday as a way to make you feel off balance and it's really more just trying to make you feel uneasy because there's so many cool shots and scenes in this movie where you know we're getting like a nice uh, like church choir or like carolers singing, you know, like Silent Night or something like that, while it's being uh, intercut with scenes of violence, and it's so it's like these mixing of tones, and it just makes you feel so weird and off-putting, and so that's like so it's kind of using the holiday to like its advantage that way, where I feel like other movies would use it as for like motivation or like 
you know, Billy just didn't get something he wanted for Christmas one year, and that's why he hates the holiday or something like that. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> which that's is the twenty twenty one remake. Yeah, would do that. Well, I think the twenty the two thousand six one does that. That like there's two oh killers, and that like one of them he like slaughtered his family on Christmas Eve, and then his like sister or somebody. I don't, I don't know. It's but they see, try and give a backstory that they don't need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I. We just watched Krampus on the Good American <laughs> yeah, we did. this week for our for our Christmas special, and we talked a lot about the tone there and about whether it was a Christmas movie or a horror movie, and it feels like a true Christmas movie and a horror movie at the same time, and this also does. Like, it it is a Christmas movie, or it's a horror movie, not to the detriment of the Christmasness of it, mm-hmm. and the Christmasness of the movie enhances the horror in a really interesting way that sequence of the kids caroling in oh, front of the door yeah. and then and then like the older woman coming up and be like get the kids out of here like that's genuinely like frightening in a way that you don't usually get from a horror movie the mm-hmm. entire opening sequence of silent night where they use a weird verse that i somebody who grew up in catholic <laughs> christmas choirs have never heard before like it's just so interesting the the way that they used uh, Christmas as a as an enhancement. Like it, you know, like Die Hard uses Christmas for for stupid reasons. <laughs> and I don't like people who talk about Die Hard as a Christmas movie. I'll say it once. I'll say it again. I agree. Uh, but this movie, it makes so much sense. Like because it's Christmas, the rest of the girls are out of the sorority house. Because it's Christmas, a dad comes to get his daughter. Like it it all helps the plot move along and helps the movie remain character driven and and well motivated with nothing feeling contrived right yeah and i love that and i also feel like it helps with like with kind of overall theme as well cuz christmas you know from like a christianity standpoint is supposed to be kind of like you know celebrating like you know the birth of jesus and we're dealing with a protagonist that doesn't want to give birth and I kind of love that kind of like contrast of themes with that. Yeah, there's a whole thing that you could go into. I mean, you said it was a Canadian movie, but and maybe this might have come up later naturally, but this movie came out in 1974, which is only a year after the decision of Roe v. Wade in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And the overall, like, f- the feminist lens viewing of this film is fascinating. Yes. Uh, with the discussion of Jess as a character asserting her autonomy, not just as a person, but her bodily autonomy and her, uh, like her rejection of Peter as well is very, is very potent and, and interesting. And this movie came out in 1974. It's crazy, isn't it? And like, in that same, in that same vein, I love how all the other women are too. Like, uh, Mrs. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Mac, like she, she's just hiding booze love all over her. the house. And she's Barb, great. I love her. Barb's like Barb, vulgar jokes. Powerful. Oh, it's just powerful, so, powerful character. It's so great. Like all of them are. That that was like the first thing that I took away from this. The first time I watched this was that it felt like this movie was trying to show that women aren't so different from like their male counterparts. Like you know, they like to have sex. They like to drink. They like to make vulgar jokes. Um, have like r- these weird goofy posters like in their rooms, you know, that like uh, yeah. Mr. Harrison definitely disapproves of. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of like that. 
and portraying as much as like i'm not a huge fan of greek life but portraying a sorority as just as much kind of like a house of gals as a fraternity is like a house of boys Mm -hmm. you know to its detriment as much as to its benefit that you have these women just getting drunk barb at the at the police station (laughs) is such a powerful scene to it's... really set the women's lib movement forward. Yeah, the, the fellatio time... scene. Oh my god, yeah. it's so good. Fellatio. And I like that dumb, stupid cop that she gives it to uh, and how they go back on that joke later on. Like, they could have just let that joke live where it did, but they go back to it, which is great. And Every and time I watch this movie, though... Line. <laughs> like, what a good punchline to yeah. have. Just start a scene with a guy laughing his ass off and you're like, why is that guy laughing? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, wait, it's Felicia. But every time I watch this movie, I think about what an awesome final girl Barb would be. Mm-hmm. She'd be such yeah. a, and like I know she doesn't like fall into the right typical kind of like final girl tropes, but like I think that's why she would be so cool as a final girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Barb and Phyllis are found atop each other, so maybe there were some lesbian vibes coming off as of phil soon, i have an interpretation barb, for that yeah as soon as barb and phil were on screen together my, my roommate went gay they're gay they love each other <laughs> yeah, they love each and, other and when they they knew that a killer was coming and they're like let's just get it on let's die in a loving embrace and they did oh my god that's they love so... each other oh my goodness um the characters in this rule so hard um something else that i just love is this awesome like creepy like piano music that we get mm. yeah it's from some interviews i watched what the, how they got that was they took a like little those little forks you get for like shrimp cocktail and like just they just strummed the strings of the piano with that <laughs> whoa that's and great it's a beautiful like i love it it's so good and creepy and because I, I don't know anything about music. Like, I don't play any instruments. I took music class just because, like, I was forced to when I was, like, in the fifth grade. But um, so the whole time of listening to or was watching this with my fiance, who is musically inclined, I was like, how did they do that? How did they make that sound? Because I, like, couldn't, like, process it in my head. But I just love it. Yeah. I think the – I mean, the sound uh, for this movie – I think is also partially so good because of the way that the actor that plays Billy performs his voice. Like, which was several different people. Yeah. And um, yeah. like, cause that voice I think is the best part of Billy's character and why he freaks me out so much that the way that he speaks is so insane. And like, I've talked about on our show before that I'm typically not into the silent killer. It's not my thing. Mm. Uh, I find it a little bit boring. That's my beef with Michael Myers. Um, is this why you like I Nightmare could, on Elm Street so much? I, yes, it's exactly yeah. why I like Nightmare on Elm Street so Among much. Among many other um, things get, to like that series, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I get constantly dunked on for people by saying that I think Michael Myers is a little boring. But uh, I digress. Um, I think what's so great is not only do we not see Billy, but we hear so much of him. Uh, mm. And it doesn't matter that we don't have motivation or find out who he is. Like We hear him, and that's all we need to know to know that he's bad news. Yeah, we also get his effect on the characters we care about. Rather yeah. than caring too much about the killer, we only care about the people the killer is affecting. And so it's the thing of, uh, there are always those people that are like, oh, I only ever watch the other people in a scene, in a movie that, that aren't talking because they want to see the acting oh. of somebody listening rather than speaking. Mm-hmm. And that's all we get in this film. 
um, because we just get to see people react to the phone call. That's what's interesting point. is I remember reading somewhere that all of his all of Billy's stuff was recorded after mm-hmm. principal photography was done. So uh, when uh, they were like listening on the phone, I think the director just basically told him, "It's like pretend you're listening to something scary," and somehow yeah, they nice. nailed it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that, that's what they said during the interviews. Yeah, which is still so impressive. And I, the voices, I, I love everything they had to say about that, Devin, because the, the voices kind of, since they're hiding the, the killer, the voices kind of add what the audience thinks are clues to who it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it's just trying to make you think of like who it is and everything, which you can't, but uh, it, it adds more of like that character, just making it kind of like, um, it's almost like he's Billy's more like haunting this house than he than it is like a like a, like he's squatting <laughs> in it. Yeah, you know, because it's more just like this kind of like uh, disembodied thing that like moves around the house and they hear it, but we never actually see it because it almost feels like he's more haunting it than anything. Right. I mean, we do like we see him in like shadow be climbing the wall at the beginning, right? Yes, but it's a that is every time we see like the hands or anything physical, they had somebody different each time. That's really that. smart too. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think and- that's your your point about about the clues is really interesting. We've we've talked about trying to make this movie in 2021. I feel like if it was made today, it would be like divisive for the reason that there would be like YouTube video essays trying to like theorize about who Billy is mm-hmm. and like trying to figure it out, and there would be people who would be pissed that there's not an answer hidden yeah, in the exactly. subtext mm-hmm. and the phone messages and whatever. And in my opinion, it makes it a much better movie to not have that. Yeah. Maybe one of the filmmakers had an idea of who Billy was, but I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I also love about Billy as a killer is that he and like why he's like both the ultimate slasher villain and unlike any other slasher villains is he has no signature weapon. He does yeah. not kill yeah. in a certain way. He doesn't have a knife. He doesn't have a chainsaw. He doesn't have a gun. doesn't have nothing. He kills in a different way every single time, uh, which is so interesting. And like he is he is a slasher, but like also he's not doing any of the things that a slasher should do. But that is scary, too, because it still kind of plays into the unknown. It's like, how is he going to get this person? You know, yeah. uh, it is scary. Yeah. And, yeah, and I love every death. Like, yeah, every all the kills are great. The, so good. The, the first kill being the, the clear bag is so good. Mrs. Mac's death. It's so brutal. I, it like, is. I. It feels like uh, in the video game Dead by Daylight, the fact that you like you put people onto hooks. Oh yeah, 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 like, yeah. That's where they got it. They watch Black Christmas. We gotta put these people on hooks. <laughs> I'm very Black excited for when we do get to the interpretation part of the show because I do have a read on those deaths and like why they're different from each other Ooh. so I'm excited to get to that mm. when we get there yeah and like the the unicorn the glass unicorn death is unparalleled I oh think my it's God. the best death in this whole movie it is <laughs> awesome. I thought it was a glass menagerie reference <laughs> it I thought it was been. just gonna be a little yeah we would be none the wiser <laughs> It's kind of hard but easy at the same time for this, but getting to what sort of subgenre of horror this falls into, I mean, we, we, d- we discussed this at the beginning, but this is one of the first slasher movies. It's a slasher horror movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I it's mean, purely that, but uh, I was going to see if go around the room, see if there's anything else people were kind of getting from this. 
I do think slasher is where it it lives and like it's got so many of those emblematic tropes mm-hmm. uh that it kind of has to but also it defies enough of those tropes to it be does. something else it does um and I'm a big fan of like holiday horror movies I love gimmick <laughs> horror movies I love horror movies that have a thing uh <laughs> I love like like trick or treat and then like Krampus and any any that has like a weird it's like, oh, it's Easter. I love that stuff. Um, because there's so much, I guess, I don't know if holiday horror movie is a subgenre, but like there's so, with holiday horror movies, there's so much imagery that you can play with and play off of. And because everybody has such a strong idea of what that holiday is, what it looks like, what it means to them, that anything you do with a horror movie with it, uh, is going to defy their expectations except for maybe like the holiday Halloween. Um, but mm. any other holiday, um, it's going to break people's expectations uh, in a in a really cool way. So I don't know if holiday horror movie is a subgenre, but... I like that. This yeah. should be. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it definitely should be. I also think your, your point about defying expectations is true, but it also, even when it plays into expectations, it's in a way where the audience is like, ah, that makes... I like that. Like, it, it's still it fulfills expectations in a way that is satisfying rather than disappointing. I, I feel like this could also be considered a kind of defiant version of home invasion Ooh, as a genre. That's a good one. Because it's like the invasion happens at the beginning of the film. <laughs> yeah, the invasion. The, it has been done. It's not about the invasion. <laughs> right. It's about what happens if the killer gets into the house. Yeah. Oh, I like that, Devin. This is an invasion movie or home invasion movie. I haven't thought about that before. Thank yeah, you, and home invasion you. movies are are absolutely horrifying. Terrifying. Oh my god, yeah. It, Every home invasion movie I've seen, I've been absolutely petrified of. Yeah, I hate Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> this um, movie does not feel like Home Alone. I said that Krampus feels like Home Alone. This movie does not decidedly does not feel like Home Alone. Although the guy that directed this also directed A Christmas Story, and like I kind of get it. Yeah, I kind of see it. That makes so much sense to me, <laughs> right? It, doesn't it? Christmas Story makes me uncomfortable the same way that Black exactly makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I always get ragged on when I tell people I don't like a Christmas Story, but it's because it makes me I cringe. I don't like embarrassment and like secondhand embarrassment humor. Oh, uh, dude, I and love that's why a Christmas, Christmas Story, story bothers me. <laughs> love that movie. Oh my goodness! But yeah, Bob Clark, you know, just he he made two Christmas classics. I kind of I kind of said, is this like a Christmas movie? But I like adam's idea of being holiday horror Um, yeah this doesn't feel as much like a christmas movie to me um yeah a lot of stuff that we talked about it's it's not really so much people celebrating the holidays more just like a setting um but i do love how i always feel cozy watching this movie because i love seeing like the old 70s like big bulbs and like the christmas decorations yeah. it makes me feel like i'm going over to my grandparents for christmas yeah the um, lighting in this movie is really good and the house they use is beautiful oh, it's fantastic yeah it's so good i also loved how this movie kind of does like a bait and switch because it, it loosely because like the audience is in on what's happening but really most of like the big question of this movie for the characters is where's claire so it's almost kind of like a missing yeah. persons mystery movie, yeah. but the audience is in on it. Right. It it's it's so interesting how this movie feels moment to moment because it doesn't feel like any modern movie in the way that 
there is like a plot there is a central plot right but our characters aren't in on mm-hmm. the same plot that we are like obviously like you just said like we have mr harrison following his thing and then we have the town kind of reacting to this girl going missing we have mrs mack looking uh mm-hmm. or like we have mr harrison trying to interact with the police department and saying that his daughter is missing and then we have mrs mack going through her thing of finding all the booze pulling up the booze from the toilet <laughs> she's just trying to get drunk and then yeah, go and home for christmas dog. that's all she wants to do yeah. this woman uh yeah it, it feels like in a lot of other movies characters that aren't invested in our plot get cut out right because like why are we watching them if they're not pushing forward our plot but in this we have Mm -hmm. that weird moment three quarters through the movie where two of the search party members come to the door and have like a jolly good time (laughs) with barb and phil and then they leave and like it's i i understand the cozy feeling it's like you're in the 70s it's it's the week before christmas and like all the sound design the the christmas aspects of this film make you feel like it's christmas i was watching it here in sunny la it's not actually sunny it's like 60 degrees but uh i was like oh this feels like the northeast on christmas like i felt there it's so interesting the Mm -hmm. the atmosphere Mm. this movie builds yeah yeah oh it has incredible atmosphere and i love what, what you said how everybody has like a cool little subplot that they're all dealing with and i think that's a huge credit to bob clark because like I said, he kind of took this cheesy script and he made it something. He made it more to mo- to say more adult sounds pretentious, but he made it more yeah. realistic with you know the who yeah, the characters more mature were from a filmmaking standpoint. More mature, like yes, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And even Barb has like a thing going on because like if you kind of like listen in like the conversation she's having with her mom, she's in my my read is that she's getting drunk because her mom is like for some reason like dismissive of her or something like that right. like she she ha- she seems to have some sort of not that they fought over the phone but you could tell that she was wanting more or maybe more like attention or something from her mom and i feel like that's like why she's like hiding and booze yeah, like throughout like the movie not getting the christmas she wanted in her head it's a very a college kid thing like of oh christmas yeah. christmas is oh like yeah be exactly what i thought it was Oh, that sucks. Let's go drown myself in booze. I mean, I did that at least once. Do they ever say what year of school they're in? I think some are confirmed to be, like, younger than others. Like, Claire Mm -hmm. is, like, a... Look, Claire's new, so she seems like a freshman or something. But the rest of them seem to be upperclassmen. Uh, Because, yeah, some of these reactions seem to be very, like... uh, college students first holiday away from yeah. home or whatever oh true yeah um but yeah so i kind of just had slasher basically and it, i love the idea of holiday drama or not holiday ho- yeah holiday horror um y'all want to get into the fear yes. analysis of this yeah this is so cool Alrighty, so according to Dr. Carl Albrecht, there are five types of fear that humans share psychologically. The fear of death, body, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, rejection, and humiliation, shame, worthlessness, i.e. the death of ego. Now, we don't have to stick to these five. This is just kind of like a nice little launching pad if there's anything else that you had. 
Um, but I will lead the floor with you two. Mm, this is great because now Devin and I can talk about envelope violations on ah, two yes. shows. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we talked about something similar on an episode, but they describe bodily invasions as envelope violations, which we find both hilarious. Um, but um, of, for this film, uh, I think, well, first of all, I think mutilation, bodily invasion is kind of uh, the thing with slashers and uh, body horror movies anyway, that that's always mm-hmm. kind of a default and why we fear, fear slasher so much. Um, but, and, and extinction or death. Um, but I think uh, there's something to be said about loss of autonomy as in Hugely. like loss. Yeah. L- loss of like home autonomy. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Like oh. you, uh, your, your inability to be comfortable to, to feel safe in your own house, in your own room, like, in your own walls um which is why i think people are afraid of home invasion movies so much like i i have a theory that people are less afraid like internally people are less afraid of home invasion movies because they're afraid of like harm mutilation death but they're more afraid of like people being in what they consider to be a a locked safe area like Mm -hmm having something they don't expect to be in their home, having somebody invade. Like, I think it's a, like an outward version of bodily invasion, uh, where people consider their homes, like an extension of their body an extension of themselves. Uh, and to have somebody violate and invade that is very scary, whether or not it ends in death or harm. Uh, like I wouldn't, if somebody broke into my apartment, I wouldn't need for them to hurt me to feel afraid. Right. Right. I, I agree. I think the, the, overall answer and i think it plays into the the kind of message and the theme which we get we'll get into later of autonomy in general of uh, like Mm -hmm. ability to move around in a place like you said that is safe that is locked that is mine uh that i am completely autonomous in like the second you step out of your door you're you're no longer autonomous you have to interface with society around you but in your own home who the who cares if you uh do x or y and your specific mention of a safe locked place the goofy bit with the search party and barb and phil they say oh oh lock all your doors just to be safe there are going to be some other people don't be afraid but make sure all your doors are locked they close the door and barb and phil laugh and they're like ha 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 the only door locked in here is and they mentioned some door and i think it's mrs max door things like the back door like, yeah y'all don't lock your doors like like yeah (laughs) so we have all these characters interacting with uh the safety of the home in all these different ways and for uh for jess it's a really clear thing that like on a personal scale her autonomy is being Mm -hmm. invaded by this this person calling into her sorority home by peter both putting a baby into her and also deciding that the baby should should come to term the and then on a macro level barb and phil uh have their who is the person who answers the door to the children that's jess the main main character another example of hey like it's a completely safe version but it's somebody coming and forcing you to interact with their christmas carols this is that's a violation (laughs) of my autonomy uh like every interaction you're also sacrificing your autonomy when you go to the cops to search your house for a killer like that is also a loss of autonomy i think that that's 
the clearest form of fear. Excuse me, mm-hmm. yeah. form of fear. Or when they they tap your phone line because right, it's no right. longer private. I was that as well. I had this that same fear, um, loss of autonomy. But I was getting more into with uh, with you were saying, Devin, about how Jess is kind of feeling that from from Peter from the pressure to want to to right. keep the baby and to marry him, and but Peter is also having that too because now he's now realizing he doesn't have control over Jess because she's now making decisions that don't involve yeah, him anymore. And he's also dealing. And there's even like a point. When in the church, when she tells him that she's going to get an abortion, he goes, "You can't do that." He haven't even asked right. me. And yeah, yeah. And so I feel like that this movie is really getting into that loss of autonomy. With besides, you know, Jess making decisions on her own, Peter's also now having that fear. And I feel like that that fuels and leads into his anger um, that we kind of see in this. But yeah, I definitely think that this is absolutely loss of autonomy. And I love the. Uh, I had like the the bodily invasion mutilation thing more of like the threat of that just by like what is said on those phone calls because there's some like very yeah. gross things that are yeah. said on those phone calls about what yeah, Billy wants to do to wasn't them. Wasn't expecting a C bomb right in the first scene of this film, huh? Right, right, right off the, the bat. bat, right As, in the first ten minutes. Yeah, that's Black it, Christmas for you. Yeah, that's uh right there in, in the seventies, man. Um, it but, tells uh, you exactly what kind of film this baby. is about to be. They can say it now. <laughs> I, I also think the, uh, like I mentioned the non-horror related examples of autonomy loss because I think in horror movies like this, having non-dangerous forms of, uh, an exploitation of the same fear that the violent things are playing on helps to enhance it like you mentioning peter not mm. having any any control over his his partner he also seems to feel as though he doesn't have any control over his life in general he says he spent eight years in the same place being stuck in this conservatory and now he wants to get out mm. of that and uh like and also try to extend that feeling of control over over jess yeah, no, I think that's good. And it's uh, with that line of logic, it almost seems like that maybe her having a baby was his way out of that uh, monotony that he was stuck in. Because now he could get married and have a family and do something with himself, or at least what he th- right. thinks that he needs. Right, which is why he goes and asks her to marry him is, oh, great, this isn't out. Oh, great, I can change my life. This is a new thing. And then that gets taken away from him. It's not, you know, not his choice to decide to have that taken away from him, but it still must sting a bit. Something that I was surprised that I really wasn't getting from this movie was that fear of, like, humiliation, shame, or worthlessness. Because, like, dealing with... I mean, kind of surprised and I think happily surprised that we're not getting that from Jess because this movie wanted to. They definitely could have gone into her, I don't know, feeling weird about, like the possibility of having a baby out of wedlock or just even like having to go through abortion or whatever. But like, they really didn't like show that she's like expressing feeling bad about it at all or anything. You know, there was no, mm-hmm. there was no sense of that from her. And I found that to be, we kind of talked about how strong of a character she is, but I found that to still be bold that that type of fear wasn't even really at the precipice of her character, which I find very interesting. Yeah. There's definitely mm-hmm. an analysis of this film from a feminist perspective about, the fact that this is one year after Roe and you have Jess getting pregnant 
and then deciding, hey, I'm going to have an abortion. And that being a fully formed idea in her head that she is okay with and is able to defend uh, to Peter because it is her body and and at the end of the day, her pregnancy. And that is in the, on the backdrop of this sorority house that is very much uh, 70s feminist. Uh, women can be just as sexual as men. They can make the same jokes as men. They can have a cool, boozy house mom rather than some like uptight <laughs> you know virginal house mom frumpy grandma <laughs> and then the the ending and the the horror of it comes from the fact that despite these women being able to create a space for themselves that is safe that is supportive that is liberated that is modern that that doesn't save them from a violent man i mean it's a very uh, to to me yeah. this film from that perspective becomes a really 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 clear political statement which is always fun for me to find as a rampant political <laughs> hack <laughs> no I, I i really do like that a lot because that kind of plays into like one of the other fears i had from this that wasn't from this list but is that fear of nobody taking you seriously like yeah. nobody listening mm-hmm. to you and the authorities in this don't and even when they think that Jess killed when she kills Peter that they think that she actually got the guy for whatever reason this room full of men make the decision to not to take her to the hospital but to take doc, to take Mr. Harris as, who's just a little faint so to the clear. hospital as soon but they as leave a her. dude passes out they're like stop yeah. the presses we need to take him to the hospital but meanwhile she's just, fully unconscious like yeah, it doesn't it, again it's just like yeah so like yeah, same thing yeah, it's just besides like them literally going to the police not them not listening here this is like such a good visual way of that of them not listening to the person that can't speak because they're unconscious yeah, yes and it, and it's, it's an example it's an active yeah. example of the of the uh idea that this movie puts forward in terms of systemic uh structures that are uh oppressive like you have a male-dominated uh, and inherently oppressive structure in policing and that passively they suck, right? They, they go way too slow. They don't listen to people when they come. They uh, like have files, but they take forever to do anything with them uh, until, until a man in a hockey mask comes in and yells at them. And then the active <laughs> version of that is they would rather let this girl sit in this bed dying and then take a random man who is just a little faint straight to the hospital it is a like the apotheosis of the of the thesis surrounding these structures and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day these structures that are meant to keep you safe and and uh keep you alive ultimately can't save you from a, a violent man who wants to kill everyone because at the end of the day those two things are actually uh in cahoots with each other whether or not they know it I am. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to put a little pin in that for, for, for a little bit later, but I love that point. I love that point. Um, the last thing I had was just the fear of the unknown. There's so much that we don't know. We don't know who Billy is. We don't know who mm-hmm. Agnes is. We, for a little bit, we don't know where the calls were coming from. I remember that was kind of like a big surprise to me the first time I watched this, that the calls were actually coming from inside the house. Yeah. Because uh, I forgot because I forgot that separate landlines was a thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they mentioned that later where, like, uh, the, the lieutenant's in the house and asking Jess, like, is there another phone line in the house? 
And then he's like, oh, it's just like Mrs. Max or whatever, but there's been no calls coming from it or something like that. Yeah, like they do put it forward. I think, again, this is a reason why it can't work in 2021. You wouldn't, none of that would happen. (laughs) Cell phones. Does does this person have their find my iPhone turned on? No? No, I can't do anything. Yeah. Was there any sort of particular aspect or scene that y'all found to be the scariest part of this movie? Hmm. Um, I mean, I one of the things that really got me in this movie is during the final girl chase where Billy's eye appears through the keyhole or, or like the, the, the crack of the door frame. That was, I think, one of the most legitimately <laughs> scary parts of this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, that whole sequence, especially of him like screaming and kind of moaning while he's like hitting the door and we see the oh, that is good shake like yeah that, I, I think that's the most i think that's i love that yeah i love that so much more than the like final girl screaming and the killer just like slowly mm-hmm. silently walking it is uh, i think that this is, is so much scarier um, i had the the phone calls as some of the scariest parts for me they were just genuinely terrifying it's almost kind of like Mm. It, it, it reminded me, like, you know, going back and watching this, it reminded me a lot of Scream with how how much those plots center around phone calls. And, yeah, so I was just like, I am now, like, yeah. terrified of, like, this inanimate object <laughs> that's in this house. There's whenever the phone rings. Yeah, it's just the... <laughs> it's going to be bad news. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, like, this could, I think, be done with cell phones uh, in, in a certain way. Uh but again, the plots become problematic uh, when you put them in modern day, which is why I think in the remakes they do the excuse of like cell service is down or whatever. Um, but in the 2019 one, they like they still use calls and stuff. So I don't know how they ex- I can't remember how they explain that they can't just like track the call or whatever. Yeah, I'm know. not sure. It's a weird yeah. tangent. But... Yeah, we're in the national radio dead zone <laughs> in in the Appalachians. What are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what you have to do. Yeah. So many horror movies get ruined by cell phones. Uh, are you two ready to move on to the message of the movie? Or is there anything else you want to put for scariest parts? I mean, just it, the the first kill is so good. Yeah. And uh, choking kills or kills where uh, the yeah. victim stops being able to breathe are always scary uh, to me, I think. But especially in this, like, and how you keep going back to what her yes, body looks like just about uh, I'm so excited makes to talk it about that. even scarier. Yeah. The chair. Yeah. The shots of her sitting in the chair with the bag still wrapped around her face are very, very yes. Um, that's actually a great segue mm-hmm. for me to get into a cool interpretation, or at least what I think is a cool interpretation read on this movie. Um, at least like the character of Billy or kind of like the overall, the themes of this, cause, uh, we talked about how this is kind of like uh, one of the first slashers or the first slasher with uh, Texas Chainsaw. And, but something I found super interesting was that it doesn't keep with the same tropes that we have today. And by that, I mean the, the women in this movie aren't necessarily being punished for having sex. And I love how Claire, yeah. who is, mm-hmm. ter- we find out from Barb, she is the virgin of the group. She was the first one to die, but the manner in which she dies she is suffocated in this plastic bag and billy like preserves her up in the attic in this chair with this plastic coating on her and it's almost like she's being 
dealt with differently and it's almost like she's pre- he's preserving her because she's a virgin so he's like almost like preserving like her purity like in a weird way whereas that when he kills barb who's you know uh, has sex and is the vulgar one in the group her death is the most i think violent in my opinion and he just leaves her and phil who also has a boyfriend i think uh, he just leaves them like like where he slayed them so it's almost like doesn't care we'll slay those that had sex but this one that's virgin and pure i'm going to wrap you in plastic and keep you upstairs and safe yeah and she dies first the virgin in the reverse of the slasher trope dies first and she is the only one that doesn't die of an envelope file yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i don't know i just found that so interesting that that's that's how those kills played out in this Mm, yeah that's a really good point um, and I think that, like, uh, I know we're going to move on to talk about, like, the message. Of the film oh, we're stuff, there, baby. We're there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that, like, what like what Devin was saying before is that I think it's so important that they're not following the typical slasher. And, like, they can't follow it because they invented it. But, like, the typical <laughs> slasher thing of, uh, of you know, like, punishment for having sex. Um, because it reinforces uh, this this feminist take of that, like, this is inevitable. There is nothing that would have stopped this killer from attempting to or successfully harming and killing these women because that is that's the power that he holds. Right. That's mm. the way that the system is set up for them. Um, that it's like kind of hopeless in the way that, that you think of like this would have played out exactly like this and they would have received the same response from police, from law enforcement. There's that line when that cop is. Uh, they're reporting the calls and that cop is like uh it's probably just one of your boyfriends playing a prank or whatever um yeah. that like it it's it feels kind of hopeless that the whole thing is like it, this is inevitable but then that also gives jess a lot of power at the end it does uh when she 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 turns the tide on it and doesn't that quote that you just said it's probably just one of your boyfriends pulling a prank doesn't it sound like a weird way of saying it's just boys being boys yeah yeah exactly right, exactly right. exactly Even if that cop is correct what that cop is saying is any man especially one who has a connection to you or is romantically involved with you has the right to scare the shit out of you at any point with no repercussions that's not yeah. okay like mm-hmm. even if it was your boyfriend <laughs> yeah that's still a fucked up thing to do i can't say any better than that <laughs> i i another kind of like interpretation or kind of like message from this was that basically i feel like this movie is about um irrational male anger especially towards women mm-hmm. and i love how well clark parallels billy and peter together yeah like we see that they are both they both act out with irrational anger like you know we get all the stuff with billy especially him like throwing the furniture and we see peter destroy the piano but i also love the piano score that cues billy Peter plays a piano and I love how he also, when he destroys it, it almost sounds like the same music that we used to score uh, Billy. So I kind of love those ties that they have together. And basically it's like, they're both men that have some sort of, you know, misogynistic view of women, but, and they're both capable of violence. And there's just a little tiny difference between them. There's some switch that made Billy, be super violent and where peter i think peter could have honestly gotten into an altercation with jess there at the end we just don't see it i think it's possible but um mm-hmm. i kind of love how i, I feel like that the movie was kind of like tying those two characters together is that like 
your boyfriend that's manipulating you, how different is he from the guy that's squatting in your attic? Right. <laughs> and yeah, and it's not even manipulating you. It is, you know, the man who is demanding that you bring a pregnancy to term. Like that is, I, you know, it's something that we don't think a lot about because we talk about, as we should, uh, the de- the debate that shouldn't be a debate around bodily autonomy because we want to make sure that it's 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 understood to be an everyday problem, right? But the, mm-hmm. the amount of bodily work that a person who carries a pregnancy to term does is insane. And the amount of pain they will go through, like, that is a lot. And to force that onto a person is borderline evil, almost as evil as uh, killing everybody in a sorority house uh, <laughs> by sticking big hooks through them. Like, I don't think that I I think the comparison between Peter and Billy is the text of the film, Uh, especially when you have Peter playing an ugly postmodern symphony on the piano uh, that is purposefully kind of ugly and discordant. uh, And then that same dissonance is then used as Billy's themes. Like you said, I think that's incredibly like that is that is what you're supposed to take from the film to the point where jess thinks that it is peter until it is confirmed that he is not and even then Mm -hmm. she still kills him because she thinks it is actually him and that he was just that maniacal because of course this woman who is feeling less and less like she has control over her own body and her own life would at the end even though she knows logically it can't be peter will still believe that this man is an imminent threat to her and will kill him as she should that's my hot take of this film. Jess was right to kill Peter. <laughs> hot. <laughs> it it. kind of makes sense, though. It does. Uh, I love that, Devin. Uh, and yeah. I, I can't really add anything to it. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the message of this film, baby. I'm on it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, do what we're, Do y'all have any theories about Billy, though? Uh, just while we're kind of like in this interpretation segment of this. Um, I mean, I think it's I, most powerful if Billy is just a guy, yeah, I, just yeah, a dude. It, it it reinforces the the thesis of the film from a political standpoint to have him just be a guy. I also think that it's it could be pretty soundly argued that he is somebody who went through a similar experience to Peter that he impregnated a woman and then went on to kill her for some reason Mm. uh, because of the involvement of so many like children sounds in Billy's kind of soundscape we also have the Peter saying if you do this you'll be sorry uh, which kind of implies future violence and uh, this idea of Billy saying like they can't find out what I did what Billy did what happened between Billy and Agnes I think it's in some ways we're, we're kind of meant to assume that he also he's killed before he did something horrible to a woman specifically. And because of the parallels to Peter, I think it could be argued that it's a similar thing that he exacted violence on somebody that he had impregnated. That's my theory. Yeah. Mm. I like that. My theory, I don't have so much as like a backstory, (laughs) to billy besides that he's just somebody that just doesn't like women for whatever <laughs> right, reason so just, a, just uh, a regular cis straight man that's what we said <laughs> but i kind of had my theory that the phone calls aren't 
his own history that he sneaks into houses and he just eavesdrops and he just repeats things that he's heard. Okay. And that like he's maybe witnessed violence in these Greek houses and he's That's... just and I think because I think my my biggest point of evidence for this is that when Peter's over and he's arguing with Jess at the house, he says something along the lines of you're deciding to like kill our baby like you're remo- you're removing a wart. And that's something that Billy later on says to Jess in one of the phone calls. He says just like removing a wart. Right. So I th- I think that Billy doesn't necessarily have a violent history per se, but that like he's just he's just like a peeping Tom and he's just eavesdropped and he's just regurgitating all these things he's heard in violence witness in these Greek houses and he's just saying that over the phone. I think that's fascinating. I took the the wart mm-hmm. line popping up again as just as further evidence of the parallels between Peter and Billy, but your interpretation kind of m- makes Billy into a into an embodiment of the violence men do to women. Like as a not just as somebody who literally kills people and like <laughs> exacts specific like will recollect specific things that men say to women that were specifically violent like what peter says to jess but also the kind of uh passive violence that somebody like a peeping tom does against women right like that Mm -hmm. the idea of bringing in the idea the idea of bringing in the idea of of <laughs> being a kind of creeping tom is such a specific touchstone for creepy luring men that I, I i wouldn't be surprised if that was intentional too it would also go into the theme that uh you and adam brought up just you know autonomy in your own home and everything that you're being inspired on too now even though violence may not be happening you're being your privacy is broken right and especially for for uh women who deal with men being passively violent to them on the streets, catcalling and peeping at them and saying stuff to them. Of course, the home is going to be something that feels the safest uh, and that specifically being violated for a woman specifically in this situation is even more transgressive. Now, in some of the research I did, Bob Clark does have a backstory for Billy. Yeah. And I, I agree with Adam that is scarier if you don't know it. So I will share it with you two off mic if you're <laughs> okay. interested, but I'm not going to share right. it here. <laughs> okay. Not yeah. The leave the part. illusion. Yeah. It's, yes. And if y'all don't want to, we don't have to talk about it, but Bob Clark does have something canonical in his okay. own head. That's see, that's all I want from my art. I don't want to know what their thing was, but I want to be able to see that there was enough thought put into it, that there is one, you know? Yeah, and he says all the clues are there. Oh, so. damn it. <laughs> but barely, not really, because after I heard it, it's like, okay, well, they're kind of there, not okay. really. But uh, so, uh, last <laughs> last, uh, last, question of debate, do we think Jess dies at the end? No, I think she becomes the first woman president. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, mean, I think she I dies. Think she, I hate yeah, it, but I think, I think she's she dies. She's got to... But I think that's that goes back to the kind of inevitability of it all that like even after she's done all of this, the system still fails her. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even after she tries to like quote pull herself up by the bootstraps and solve the problem herself, the system still yeah. fails her and, and doesn't guess protect what, Peter? her. 
Um, and that sucks. Even though you're dead and you thought you were doing something good, baby's dead too. Not to not to get super d- dark about it. <laughs> I mean, you're I, right. I, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, I'm so happy that we got to discuss that. Um, okay, now we're getting to our last segment of the show, which is the cabin in the woods trinket, which movie mm. prop from this movie which you put into the basement of the cabin woods to summon billy um i, I feel like that there's some good uh nominees yeah. for this i feel like i know it's not very christmasy but i gotta go with the glass unicorn was my first that was my top okay. one that's interesting yeah. but it's not very christmassy I think that the glass unicorn would summon the the person killed with the glass unicorn because to me oh barb yeah to me <laughs> What you use to summon Billy is a is one of those is a rotary style phone. That, I had was that too. also what I thought. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Like in the cabin in the woods place, like they would have to pick up the phone, and there would be like a no, like there would be somebody talking. Um, to summon yeah. Barb, it's the glass unicorn. I, to summon Mrs. Mac, you would use a bottle of brandy or a bottle of scotch. Yeah, or a book with like the the bottle thing cut oh, out yes. in it, but there's my, no bottle. It's just like all these pages with yeah. holes. <laughs> That's, it's in the tank of the toilet and she like lifts it up the toilet one's insane uh, like and to summon I think that's where Kesha got her inspiration for her lyrics uh, the <laughs> wash my teeth with a bottle of Jack or brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack she got yeah. it from Mrs. Mac we know um, yeah yeah. I think to summon Jess you would get a fire poker and to summon uh, Peter it would be an entire grand piano yeah uh, <laughs> Big Steinway. Uh, and to summon the stupid cop, it would be an image of two people engaging in fellatio. What about Claude? Claude the cat's got to do something. Uh, does Claude make it out of this alive? I think so. I Good think Claude, Claude does. They spend a like improbable amount of this movie searching for this cat. Well, there's there's like several minute long scenes of yeah. them just calling for yeah Claude. and they don't unlike the body of the child they do not find claude it reminds me of the scene in uh, uh not to talk about reanimator again oh, no. but uh there it reminds it reminds me of the scene in reanimator where before they discover the cat the dead cat in the fridge it's with that exaggeration like a 90 second long scene of of dan and megan walking around the apartment going like it's it's so long for no reason other than comedy what was i talking about yeah claude yes claude claude is a cat in this movie um i did like how it's claude is just in the attic and he jumps on to claire's body yeah like you're just like rocking in the chair which apparently that was a uh improvisation move by the cat cat actor the cat so amazing, <laughs> nice. amazing for her to not break like while she's in the plastic bag like to not that's why she makes the big yeah. bucks i had uh, one of the things that, which by the way Devin, i loved everything Thank that you, you had i had the uh a i just had dry cleaning as something <laughs> <laughs> just okay is, all right is this your to-do list close that <laughs> <laughs> open up the outline yeah just yeah, just, I just had dry, yeah. dry cleaning as um, as one of the items. Y- y- y'all, y'all had uh, all the ones that I really liked. Uh, I was trying to think if there's anything else. Um, maybe just Claude the cat. You just find the cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Claude. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I can't really think of anything else that I would toss in there except for maybe like some Christmas lights or like that cool. They have like a star shaped wreath on the door or something. Maybe the hook. Yeah, the hook. I do love the sweater that Jess is wearing um, in the beginning of the movie, I think, when she first answers the phone. Uh, It's it's a good sweater. I can't really describe it. But it just it just it's looks like there's like sweater. hands like going across it or whatever like giant fingers just like everywhere I don't know it looked interesting but um, yeah the outfits in this movie are very seventies and I really oh one of Mrs Max hats that's oh that's a good one claw. one of her many hats yeah. what about one of the posters from Claire's rooms like the one of the old yeah. woman giving the finger uh, yeah I <laughs> yeah want... or the naked peace sign not, one not Kevin in the Woods yeah. related I want the the poster that Mrs Mac was really trying to cover up when Mr Harrison was leaving. <laughs> yeah, the naked yeah. peace sign one. That one was great. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's how you summon yeah. me. Oh, oh. <laughs> <Find> that. <laughs> oh man, that's fantastic. Um, well, as we begin to wrap things up, any closing thoughts from you two about Black Christmas? Um, I think if you're looking for a new, you're tired. Hey, you tired of watching Elf this holiday season? Scatter the family around the tree, pop on Black Christmas. Don't do that. Don't do no, that. No, actually that's, do that. That's a bad one. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a great film. You should watch it. Uh, it is a good movie. Don't show the kids. That's all I have. It's just such a good movie. I brought this up when we watched freaking Krampus. Is the fact that I can't watch movies anymore because I get too invested and I start thinking artistically about them, which is why I made you guys listen to a five-minute lecture about my feminist reading of this film. It's just no. Good. That's what I want, though. That's what this show is about, yeah. Devin. This is yeah. autopsy of a horror movie. We're looking and dissecting and figuring out what this movie it's is about. It's such a good film, and you should watch it now. It's free on YouTube. It's. It, it is, is free on YouTube. It is, which is amazing. You know, uh, I felt stupid for buying the Blu-ray, but actually I don't because there's so much stuff oh, on nice. there. If yeah. people get the people go get the Blu-ray, it's actually not that expensive. It's like nine bucks or something like that. And there's several commentary tracks. I don't know if people are into that, so but into you it. could watch the movie with the commentary track of Billy, like Billy doing oh the commentary. Gosh. So I haven't done that yet, and I plan on doing that at some point. But um, everybody. <laughs> check out this movie it's so good um and thank you devin for watching this for the first time i'm so happy that yeah got to expose you to this classic yeah, i i was absolutely ecstatic to have enjoyed it so much adam and devin can y'all please tell the kind folks where people can find you in the great american scream it is so good i just want to plug one of your recent episodes that you did you did one on james whale yes. who i've Whee! talked to extent on over here because uh we echoed many similar things. I think that he is a queer icon that needs to be talked about more, and I love his films. Uh, but uh, yeah, so please, everybody, go check out their episode on James Whale. They did a very awesome, extensive uh, history on him and just great discussion. But The Great American Scream, let people know where they can find it. Uh, we are on anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Great Scream Pod. Uh, we're also on Instagram, face- Instagram and Facebook at the Great American Scream or Great Scream Pod. You can reach us there. We mostly tweet. Uh, so if you want to find out what's happening, check us out there. But we are wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much. I Again, this is so much fun to do. Great movie. One I've been wanting to do for a long time. And everybody, be sure to go check them out. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brooker Horror. And everybody, have a lovely holiday. Be sure to watch some good movies. I'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>